Hey there, listeners. Well, I interviewed a guy by the name of Larry Harding, and Larry is the founder and CEO of an organization called HSP Group, and he's been a pioneer in the global expansion software and services space for more than 20 years. And he's actually built a large organization, and he's actually shared with us in the extra interview a whole lot of fun he's actually had, which has been really, really quite exciting to hear about. And he talks also about his entrepreneur roots and going back to it and so forth. But you know what? We talked about a few things, and the main sort of title here is being open to constant change. And the ability in today's dynamic world, where everything's moving so fast and so quick, he talked about being able to course correct. So if you're open to being that constant change and course correct, that's actually going to put you in a good position to be successful in today's world. The other thing we talked about was leadership skills. They're actually transferable into entrepreneurship, which is good to know for a lot of people thinking about leaving the corporate world or their job in a smaller organization, whatever it is, and wanting to go into their own business. And if you've got leadership skills, those skills are transferable. And the other thing too is that we talked about different generations and how they are wanting really strong leadership. They don't want weak leaders. They want leaders who know where they're going but leaders who are going to help them, mentor them, and grow them to become strong leaders of our future. So there you go, listeners, a great interview with Larry. So sit back and enjoy. Welcome to Leadership is Changing. Each week, we and our guests provide information and insights through exploring leading change. This is taking your leadership to another level by finding the balance between executive excellence and personal well-being through stories that inspire real change. It's time to adapt in our fast-moving world when leadership is changing with your host, Dennis Giannoutsas. Hey there, listeners. Welcome to another wonderful episode on the Leadership is Changing podcast. I have a great uh, guest with me today. His name is Larry Harding. Larry, a massive welcome to you. Thank you very much. Really happy to be here. Excellent. Now, whereabouts in the world are you today? I'm currently uh, U.S. East Coast based, just outside of Washington, D.C. in Annapolis, Maryland. Yeah, very good. Well, that's cool. So that part of the world, and of course, you're now in autumn going towards winter. Oh, it's going to be getting a little bit cooler for you, but it's all good. That's just part of life, right? We have different cycles within seasons. That it is, although uh, I'm from Boston originally. I found myself migrating south. I think I'm going to end up at the equator at one of these points. Oh, that's good. Oh, very nice. Very good. Now, you're the founder and CEO of HSP Group. And do you want to share a little bit more about what that organization is and a little bit more about your background and what you've done? Sure. HSP Group is a three-year-old venture-backed startup. Our mission is to help global uh, multinational employees, really high growth SME type companies deal with the challenges of managing a global footprint. So I've been in this industry for about 20 something years. Before that, I was sort of our classic customer. I was a CFO of venture backed tech companies based up in Boston. I had to deal commonly with the challenges of, of my own companies trying to go overseas into Japan, into the UK, into Brazil. And what I found was that every country we went into and all the different things I needed to do in each of those countries were recreating a wheel every single time. And my thought was there really should just be a company to call and I could take care of this all for me while I focused on my day job. That company didn't exist. So about 20 years ago, I sort of ventured in and and started my own business in this market. Yeah, cool. So in other words, if I've got an organization and I want to go into other countries, 
I can connect with you and you can help with the systems, the processes, the connections. Is that how it works? Exactly right. So when people are going overseas, they're typically super excited to expand and enter into new markets, or maybe they need access to talent in places where there are fantastic software developers. Nobody's going overseas to do a really good bat return or get a global payroll processed. But those types of things have to happen if you're going to venture overseas. So typically my background was the finance accounting but my back office colleagues in HR or in legal or in tax had the same set of challenges. We had things that we needed to be on top of in places where we didn't know the rules and it was our job to support our organizations. So yeah, what we've done here at HSP is create a business that really provides a turnkey solution, services and software for each of those back office types of roles. And when you say that, how many countries are you in today? In other words, how many countries can you service or help people with? So we help companies currently in more than 100 locations. Having said that, the top 20 most common destinations are probably 80% of the places that we help businesses in. But one of our missions is we we might not routinely take care of people in far-flung places, but we know how to find the solution. So even if it's not necessarily one of our standard countries, we know how to find help in just about any country that you can do business in. Yeah. And Larry, you know, a lot of businesses today are run from a home or from a certain location. They don't have to always go into a commercial premises and that your business today, because it is spanning the world, there's that global footprint. Do you have a commercial property or premises where you go to as an office? Or how does so that- we have a, a global headquarters in the US in Tampa. And we have a very large sort of European hub in Barcelona. But with this company and and, in the broader market business that I've been in for a couple of decades here, we've been way at the vanguard of working remotely way before the pandemic and even some of the technologies that help. We've had our own employees who support our customers in really far flung places. So we figured out how to be a global remote virtual company very early on. So we're now it's sort of like the rest of the world is catching up to how we've done business for quite a while. Yeah, they're a bit slow, aren't they? Come on, hurry up, catch up. <laughs> yes, that's good. Leading from the front, that's awesome. Now, we've got some questions to go through, you and I. When did you get into leadership yourself? It's interesting. So by background out of university, I was with one of the, at the time, big eight accounting firms, big four. I was on the audit staff. I did some M&A consulting. And then like most of my colleagues, especially when the, the market got hot with the whole internet boom, we went off to become CFOs, accountants for different tech companies. I became sort of a CFO at a relatively early age, and that was my first introduction to sort of being a leader and a manager. I found that my skill set was pretty good for that. A lot of the areas where I seemed to have a decent amount of capabilities were ones that meshed really well with being a leader. When I decided to start my own company, I'd never been an entrepreneur before. And in hindsight, I really had no idea what I was doing looking back. But what I found that some of the leadership skills I had translated really well into entrepreneurial skills. It's sort of one and the same thing. And I'm just fortunate enough, you know, some of the things I'm not as good at weren't overly important. The things I happen to be decent at from a leadership perspective really helped start a business and recruit an amazing team of people way more talented than I am, figure out the mission, get people to sort of rally behind it. So my skill set seemed to mesh pretty well for that. and, And as I learned over just doing it over time. There is the saying out there that a successful leader gets smart people around them. How important is that? And when we say that, what does it actually mean to you? So yeah, it means a handful of different things. I I ascribe to that theory completely. If you're limited to how successful you are by the things that are in your toolbox, you're limited into your success. But if you can 
get the organization to be as successful as the collective strengths of a whole long list of people, your upside is just so much better. So I've always tried to make sure to have people who are much better than I am in the different key parts of the business. If I can be effectively bring those highly skilled people together on a common mission and working with each other, then that's doing my job. But yeah, the more talent you can have on your executive team and the leadership team below them and really throughout the organization, that just increases the opportunity that your venture is going to have for success. Yep. That's right. Really important. Now, who's your favorite leader? Now, this person can be alive or from history. Who's your favorite leader? I mean, there've been so many of them. One that does come to mind is Winston Churchill. And you asked specifically about leadership. Was he the most skilled politician or polished human or smartest person that's ever walked the earth? Probably not, but he was the right person at the right time in terms of identifying what was needed and how to sort of rally his country and, and the broader world around really important things. From every aspect, he was an incredible leader at that right time, and his skill set meshed perfectly with what was needed. And he's probably the singular force that kept the world together when it needed people to keep the world together. Yeah, uh, that's great. I, I really like that actual selection of Winston Churchill. Fantastic. Now, Larry, if you and Winston, Winston Churchill were sitting on a bench having a cup of coffee, would there be one question that Larry would love to ask him? There'd probably be a lot of questions. And <laughs> um, based on his background, maybe a, a sip of whiskey at the end of the day would be fun too. But really, I'd ask him when the, the future was a heck of a lot uncertain than it became, did you know, were you as confident as you projected? Did you feel like you had your eyes clearly on what ultimately the outcome became? Yeah. Basically, how did you do it? What were your thoughts at the beginning and throughout as momentum was being built to sort of rallying the world around the mission that was needed? It's amazing, isn't it? So for a lot of us, we face adversity. We face all sorts of things happening. We've got headwinds, whether it's in business or whatever in life. And then how do we actually hold our ground, stand there, be confident? Or he seemed confident, but yet again, who knows what was going on within him, right? Within his mindset and so forth. And so I think it'd be a great question to ask him. It, it's easy in hindsight and retrospect to sort of understand how the decisions you made work. But yeah, before they actually unfold, mine are obviously on a much, much less grand scale, but it is just really interesting to understand. It would be interesting to understand the thought process and the thinking at the various stages. Yeah. And I wonder how much whiskey was drunk to sort of make, <laughs> yeah, really interesting. Now, the other thing is the show here the title is Leadership is Changing. So if I, I talk about that title or that statement, what does that mean for Larry? It's interesting. I've got a few decades work experience and life under my belt at this stage. Leadership, when I started off at college, when I was with the accounting firm, was basically the partners who told you to do this and that, and you did this and that. You didn't question. You certainly didn't raise different opinions. So leadership, when I started out, and I think more historically, was extremely top-down. And I think that's changed a lot and almost completely for the better, although maybe not totally completely. So leadership nowadays needs to be and, and should be much more collaborative. You hear a lot of talk about managing millennials and the amazing opportunities that is because they're just so motivated and bright and educated, but how questioning and forceful they are and sort of how things need to be. It's a very different leadership style and skill that's needed. Again, I'm pretty lucky because I like to work very collaboratively. I'm not a top-down person. That makes me feel unconfident. If, if I ever get the feeling like I'm talking to my team and we say, hey, we're going to do A, B, and C, and people just don't even question it, I'm like, okay, is A, B, and C really right? I kind of like feedback of, hey, I like A, B, but have you thought about C differently? And maybe it doesn't change, maybe it does, but 
I enjoy working collaboratively where back when I started in 85, I don't think, I don't think the partners at the accounting firm were all that interested in my collaborative feedback to them. So when you don't get that feedback from people, what do you do? How do you handle it? Do you stop? What do you do to sort of get that feedback? Great question. I actually try and be really sensitive if I sense or perceive that there's not type the questions I might think there would be or the type of feedback, I do tend to wonder and worry if it hasn't been absorbed or it's actually completely disagreed with, but they're not comfortable giving it. So I tend to try and keep my fingers really heavily on that pulse and sort of circle back and double check. Hey, we had this conversation yesterday. Are you sure that you do understand what we're trying to do and why? And more often than not, if there is sort of a resistance, it, it can break down a little bit there. But it's something I try and be really sensitive to because when there's not feedback in this day and age, again, with the millennial workforce, especially, something's not right. Yeah, yeah. Okay, good. So that's a good thing to note that if you're not getting that feedback, there's no discussion about it. There's no questions coming back about it, or they're questioning the approach or whatever it is, the solution, then there might be something be maybe not right. And so maybe you should recheck in again. So listeners, what I'm saying here is that us as leaders, maybe we need to sort of be aware of what's going on around us, how it's actually being said or what people are doing, what they're saying and what they're not saying is probably even better. And then sort of just read that and then we'll gauge that. And then maybe then, Larry, how do you go back to them? So in other words, so you sort of gauge and things aren't being said, something's not right, or you feel like something's not right. How do you go back to them then? And, and how do you approach that? Well, I mean, you can come up with a handful of different sort of internal processes and approaches. So we have a, a full weekly call with my executive team every week where we talk about the objectives and the strategies and the changes and things like that. But then I also have weekly one-on-ones with my entire team. So if I do get the feeling that there wasn't a lot of discussion in the wider group, I'll make sure to sort of raise it and address it on the one-on-ones. One of the same, and that, that works fine. One of the big challenges I have or I've seen over the years is it's easy enough to, to cascade information and thoughts and strategies with the, the direct reports. It's harder to make sure it goes out across the wider organization. And that's something I'm trying to have work more effectively really every day still. And I can't sit here and tell you I have the complete blueprint on that one necessarily. That one is always requires quite a bit of work. You need to get feedback from people who are maybe a couple seniority positions down from the Exco group. But you got to do that very delicately and sensitively. You don't want to undermine and go behind anyone's back, but you do want to gather input from as big a group as possible. So that one's definitely an art, which I'm working to try and improve every day. Yeah, I think what we call it sometimes skip level kind of connections or meetings with people to so you skip certain levels down. You, as you say, you got to do a little bit, you got to be sensitive because some people get a little bit, well, what are you doing? You're undermining me as a leader, but that's not what we wanted to try and do, right? So yeah, or you get people who might have, they might have a bit of a grudge against their boss and yep. they're like ready to unload and you, I don't, you don't even want to go there, but you do want to make sure that, that the feedback or that the potential issue is understood. So it's a very fine line. Yeah. And I actually, Larry, I call that sometimes with uh, the leadership that's, that's sort of in the middle. Sometimes I call that the frozen middle because communication going upwards or downwards doesn't always sometimes get stuck there in the middle. And we don't always hear from them as a small senior leaders don't hear from them or we don't always hear what's going on. And then the, the troops or the group of employees and that sometimes they don't get to hear the messages either that's been relayed from the top. So yeah, sometimes they call that the frozen middle and sometimes yeah. our role is to unfreeze it, them. It, it's a good term. And then, and absolutely it's a big job of myself and my team to minimize the ice flow in that middle. I like it. The ice flow. Nice. Very good. You and I are living in a world whereby it seems to be getting faster. Now technology is driving that a lot. And so 
with technology, business, data, social, all of that getting faster, living in a, or leading in a world that's fast-paced, ever-changing, what do you reckon leaders need to be aware of to be successful in that kind of environment? You really need to be open to constant change and pretty consistent course corrections. You're right. I mean, your competition and the market changes monthly versus yearly or quicker these days. So yeah, you, you really have to be very comfortable and confident enough to sort of listen to the feedback and maybe if the market's changing or competitors are changing differently than you'd like them to, you don't want to jump willy-nilly from direction to direction. If something seemed really workable and successful six months ago, you really want to be very sensitive if, if the market's changing and it's not going to continue to be successful. And a lot of times you, know, you have to sort of question yourself and then you need to make sure to have the confidence to be comfortable embracing things that might be deviating from how you want them to be or what you thought they were six months ago. I find that sometimes organizations and leaders sometimes react to things. So something happens in the world and some leaders come out and go, oh, this is what our organization thinks about that or the market changes and so forth. Sometimes they think, and then a few days later, oops, maybe we shouldn't have gone that way. So I think sometimes we need to be proactive, but we also need to change quickly. However, sometimes we may try to change too quick. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean, the point I raised was you really can't do and you don't want to do willy-nilly, but you it's more you have to be open to subtle course corrections at least more consistently than you probably had to while, yeah, absolutely avoiding overreacting to something and getting it wrong. So it's a very fine line. And I think it is a lot more challenging environment for leaders today than it was even 10 years ago. So it's also, it makes it more fun and interesting. And if you are able to stay on top of it, you're going to find opportunities quicker than you could 10, 15 years ago. So like everything else has its pluses and minuses. Yeah. And I think that's actually really quite cool what you just said there in the sense that you got to be on top of things because then you're actually able to move or maneuver quickly because, but also you, because you've got this awareness, you know where you are at any one time. You're not sort of daydreaming like yeah, sometimes you're driving a car, you don't even know how you got there. So if you're, but if you're aware, in other words, rather than being on autopilot all the time, you, if you're going to be a deliberate kind of person or a deliberate kind of leader, you then can take control and adjust as we're going along. That's the perfect way to, to say it. You really, you can't be on autopilot these days, but you probably never should have been. So <laughs> the fact that you're going to fail if you do it that way now does keep you sharper and more reactive for sure. Yeah, yeah. So listeners, if you are on autopilot and you find that you are just doing things day in and day out around your leadership and so forth, it might be time for you to look in the mirror and sort of check in with things and see whether you need to be doing things a lot more deliberate. Absolutely. A hundred percent agree with that. Yeah, very good. Now, you and I have been talking through things, Larry, from the lens of a leader side of things. If we were sort of to change lens a little bit and talk a little bit more from an employee's perspective, do you think that employees' expectations of leaders have changed? Yes, for sure. The expectation is that they're going to be listened to. They're going to be promoted and rewarded more quickly than less quickly. And even their expectations are, okay, global macroeconomic or social issues. There's an expectation that your leader is going to step up to that or, or be involved or talk about things the way you think they need to be talked about. So yeah, it, it's the expectations of what folks are looking for and expecting in leaders has widened quite a bit. Back to my old big eight accounting firm partner again, that there were no expectations outside of what are they asking you to do today? And that, that's really yeah, You shall do what we say, right? As was those days. Yeah, absolutely. And it's amazing how it's changed 
I wonder whether it will swing back the other way again in the future. Who knows where it's going to go? I can't picture the genie going back into the bottle and, and things being moving into a more tops down direction without some sort of crisis. Yeah, I think those days have passed and it, it's 90% for the better, but it, it does keep leaders more on their toes, I think, probably than they had to be before. Well, we're going to talk about the future in a minute, but you just said something which I thought I might just sort of just circle back to, which is, unless it's in a crisis. Now, what? how is it different? If it's in a crisis and there's something happening, how is it different to, say, every day? Well, I think even whether you look at politically, there's countries conduct themselves a certain way, but then if a crisis happens, call it COVID or what's going on in the Middle East, all the terrible things there. The old way of doing things tends to become a little bit more rigid and more top down. It's like a little more command and control because we got to save things versus a steady state. So if from a business perspective, if you lost your biggest customer and needed to figure out how to keep the doors open, you probably would have to morph and run the business differently than, hey, the collaborative. You might just have to say, okay, that's nice, but we're going to suspend the training and development. We're going to have to suspend some of these things because we got to get we got to get cash flow back in. So I think a crisis inevitably causes, at least for a temporary period of time, leadership approach changes because become, you really have one priority. It's survival. Or, and yeah. then you, can, you, know, you can't do anything else if the business isn't going to stay open. Yeah, and I, kind of, I find it quite interesting how a lot of organizations tend to look at those, that training, that sort of salary first, that's where it's first cut. And I'm going like, hang on a sec, why are you, why are you cutting that? And they go, well, because we've got to survive. And I go, I get that. But then on the other side, if you're not supporting, growing, developing people, then you're not going to have the right leadership on board. Even if you just have people beside them to support them through this crisis somehow, whether that be mentorship, coaching, whatever it is, help them through it, then you might come on the other side way better. But then also get the other side too, right? Say, so, well, if we don't make sales, we're not bringing the revenue, we aren't going to be here tomorrow. So why would it matter? It's a fine line. And then the things articulated would never and should never be permanent. But if you have a cash flow problem and you cut marketing, that's not going to help you two, right. three years down the road. But for a quarter, you might have to cut marketing because you, you literally got to get the, the loan renegotiated or things like that. So there at times can be very short-term, long-term detrimental things that you need to do if you find yourself in survival mode. But you better not stay there long, to your point. If you have to cut employee training and development, you're not going to have the right employees with the right skill sets down the road. Yep. And then going back to what you said before, I think that if we use an analogy of a cruise ship or we use an analogy of a plane fly, what's really important is that we look at the word I want to use is sort of like the sort of indicators on, on the dashboards and things like that sort of tell us where we're going. And we need to adjust and we need to make the adjustments, which might be a little bit of a tweak every now and then. And so, as you said, every quarter, we might need to sort of reduce some spend in some areas and increase in other areas, things like that. But it's also, it's always having the finger on the pulse. It's always having our eyes on the goal. It's always being aware of what's going on. Completely. I mean, the, the term we use is metrics and it's not just financial metrics. We do uh, employee engagement surveys and if we get a piece of feedback mm. that's better than it was six months ago, that's good. Keep doing it. If there's one that's slipped, okay, what's happening here? Because you yeah. want to get on top of those things before you have an employee retention problem. So metrics, be they financial or otherwise, are key, I think, to keeping your fingers on the pulse. Yeah, I think the word I was looking for is actually the instruments, right? But I think then even if you use a doctor as an example, for us as human beings, there are certain vital signs that we have in our lives. And if our heart rate and all these things aren't right, then we're sort of going down a certain track to adjust that we need to do certain things and course correct things as well. So yeah, really interesting. 
Yeah, having a good baseline and, and having relatively disciplined approach to staying on top of what those different metrics are compared to the baseline. It's sort of the key to management success, I think. And to your point of the fast changing world, metrics that you don't want to go sideways can do so quickly. So you really want to be on top of things. And I think that's why a lot of organizations look at data, right? So they've got all this beautiful data that's coming into their business uh, and so forth. But if you get really on top of that and understand it, then it's actually going to help you navigate through things. Totally. And in, in my view, trends of things are so important. A snapshot is interesting, but it's very hard to have a context for it unless you sort of have a good trend line to head to compare it to. Yeah, cool. Now, you were talking a little bit about the future, you and I, but where do you see leadership being in five years from now? Good question. I think you need to continue to adapt to sort of how the people, how, I guess the age and point of their career where the people who are looking to be led and need to be led are. There's sort of a, there's the 20-somethings fresh out of college, and then there's the people in their late 20s, 30s, 40s, and then people becoming more senior, where the key productive people are and what their expectations need to be from a leader are the skills you better be on top of. So that's making sure to understand the different generations. And I do believe different generations of employees are different, like just different generations of everybody are and their music tastes or their political attitudes or things like that. So understanding what the generational differences are of the people who you're wanting to successfully lead inevitably is going to, every 10 years, going to change your approach. The younger generations, we hear more the older generations, if I can call it, say it that way, tend to sometimes complain about the younger generations. I presume, well, not presume, I know that even when I was the younger generation, the older generation were complaining about us. So it's, it's amazing how it all works. If there's one thing that's universal, it's the older generation complaining about the younger generation and vice versa. Yep. It's never going to change. Larry, I think that a lot of the younger generation today as you see earlier on, they're very smart and so forth. They're actually, I think, looking for strong leadership. Do you think that is correct? And what do you think they're looking for? Totally looking for strong leadership. And their expectation of the definition of strong leadership is maybe different than was before or I might have otherwise known. So yeah, they 20-somethings these days, either fresh out of school or five, six years in, incredibly well-educated, incredibly focused on work-life balance in a positive way. They see the world needing to be better, whether it's environmental or socioeconomic and equality and it, all, all different things are important to them. They're all things that they look for leadership to, though, whether it's their political leaders or their bosses or corporate leaders or just people on boards. So they're, yeah, their expectations, they know how they want the world to be and they want their leaders to sort of, they want to believe that they're leading them, helping them achieve the world that they want it to be, whether it's a work-life balance or a successful career, mentorship, or just a better society. Yeah, it's interesting. I think you're, you're spot on what you're saying there and they are wanting strong leadership. Yeah, but it's not like the strong leadership that we knew in the past, which was the I'm first and get on with it and this and that. It's more of the, they want to be guided. They want to be shown because uh, they want to take off and they want to take off quickly and yes. good on them. I think it's really good. And I think that if they don't see a strong purpose within the organization, in other words, they know what they're working towards too, they don't see strong leadership, then they're off. They're going to go and vote with their feet. They'll say, see you later. And then that's exactly right. And they do have so many more options. When I first started, if you didn't like the company you're at in the Boston area, you had to find another company that you could be employed by in the Boston area. That's no longer the case at all. I mean, you can work for a Romanian software company or a Australian software company. So it's just a very different world where people can do a lot of different things for a lot of different types of business. And it goes back to your organization, right? It's about the global footprint. It's about people 
helping people find people within the global side of things. And as you said today, with technology as well, I mean, look at us today, right? We're on two, two sides of the world having a conversation about leadership is changing. And it's just so easy today because of technology to have people around the world working for you. People who helped me produce this podcast and my design stuff and all that, they're in the Philippines. They're in a totally yeah. different country. And they are great workers. They are very smart people. They come to me with suggestions and I love it. And I think it's really great. So it's smart to be able to tap into that whole network around the globe. It, it, it's very smart, but it's also very energizing and fun and can help you be successful. So it's, there are so many pluses, you know, being open and able to take advantage of the technology and the world is flat elements to it. If you can embrace it and, and deal with some of the maddening frustrations like you on the phone, on the podcast with me in an early morning and, and me in a later afternoon. It, it's as long as you can embrace it and uh, take the good out of it. It's fantastic. Yeah, it is. It is. Now, Larry, it's been great talking to you today. Now, if our listeners wanted to get hold of you, where, where should they go? So I'm always uh, very diligent on LinkedIn. Larry Harding, HSP Group, easy to find on LinkedIn and, and easy to get in touch with. I've also designed things to have a really super easy email address, lharding at hsp.com. So Pretty easy to find and remember, and I love to connect. Anybody who wants to reach out to me, I'm more than happy to connect. That's awesome. We're going to put that into the show notes. So, Larry, once again, thank you so much for joining me. It's been a real pleasure. My pleasure. Thank you. There you go, listeners. Leadership skills are transferable into entrepreneurship. Be open to constant change, and make sure you do some course corrections as you're going along, and all generations want strong leadership. Well, well, that's it for this uh, episode. Thanks for joining us. Until next time, bye for now. Thank you for listening to this episode of Leadership is Changing with your host, Dennis Giannoutsas. Each week, we and our guests provide information and insights through exploring leading change, inspiring executives and leaders to adapt and lead a bigger game in a fast-moving world. 